Okay, so we're recording. Um, so first of all, Ruth, I would like to thank you for agreeing to be our share of the month and for agreeing to chat with me. I really appreciate it. Um, and this is going to be our share of the month for August 2021. Keep having to check myself. I keep going 2020, like automatically, so <laughs> for 2021. Um, and how this works is that I'm just going to ask you 20 questions in an unreasonably short amount of time. So I apologize for that. <laughs> Whenever you're ready, I will start. Should we go? Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, so we always start with a, like a quick check-in. Um, how are you feeling today? How are you doing? I'm feeling good, thank you. Uh, we're mid-August. Um, it's been a productive morning. It's, it's four o'clock in the afternoon for me. I'll still do many more hours of work um, later on this evening, but it's been a good day. The sun's out, um, which is summer. I love that. <laughs> London for you. Sun is out where you are. Here it's raining. So <laughs> we're both in London. I have completely different weather at this yeah. at the same time. So um, <laughs> I'm glad you have the sun. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and uh, I'll start right away with asking um, about something completely random. But I just know how busy you are. And you are working on so many things, your practice, Cake and Council, um, Urban Lawyers, just so many different projects. Yeah. I just wonder, really random question, how many hours of sleep do you actually get every night? It varies. I think when I was younger, um, kind of around university, I could function on five to six. Um, thanks or no thanks to the current situation, the current climate um, and, and working from home a lot more. Um, mm -hmm. It has actually given me the opportunity to get in a lot more sleep. So I'm getting between seven to eight hours and I find that like my body now insists that it wants seven to eight hours. Not always, not always possible. There'll always be times when you have a last minute case and you're up till, you know, 3 a.m. and you have to be up for six. But generally where I can, I get seven to eight now. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's going to be a bit of a shock going back and like your body having to adapt to waking up early and uh, dealing with that? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I have a lot of anxious moments when I sit down and think, how am I going to readjust? Because it's amazing how quickly um, I adapted to working from home and I can imagine it will be quite tough, uh, quite tough to, to readapt, but mm -hmm. I'm sure it will, it will get easier as time goes along. Bodies are amazing the way they adapt. So hopefully we'll all manage. Because um, I know exactly what you mean. It's uh, it's scary at times. So um, let's uh, let's talk about kind of relaxing times or like upbeat times. Um, do you listen to music? And if so, what type of music do you listen to? Do you have a specific kind of type of music for a specific moment of the day? Yeah, definitely. Um, if I'm kind of want to be kind of pumped and I'm getting up in the morning, I'll listen to, you know, a lot more lively music. I love like your dance hall, soca. Um, I have like different playlists on Spotify, you know, just, just feel good, get you motivated, get you kind of hyped for, you know, for the day ahead. Um, in the, in the more chilled times, I would probably listen to, you know, like some R&B. I like kind of, finding playlists on Spotify now and YouTube that are like your 90s and noughties, you know, that really kind of bring that nostalgia back of like, you know, music that you grew up with in your childhood. And you can remember like 
different pockets of your life like okay I was at secondary school when this album was out and things so yeah different definitely I do enjoy my music and different genres for different times. So you were just talking about your childhood do you remember what's the first music album you ever bought? See I, I don't um I am the youngest of um, a, a wonderful combined total of nine children and I'm really close with my oh, older oh. sister yeah <laughs> um and my older sister's um just under seven years older than me so I I don't remember buying my own I think I would have just kind of shared hers or mm -hmm. inherited but I do remember <laughs> yeah <laughs> stolen basically <laughs> I do remember going to um HMV with my best friend when we were like eight or something I think we bought Nellie and Kelly's single dilemma and I remember kind of going back to her house and we were you know in front of the living room mirror singing and dancing along to it but um, I can't remember an actual album that I bought for myself. <laughs> I think especially with big families it's very normal that you share or steal things yeah. from, <laughs> yeah. from your siblings <laughs> so um, I, I think that's absolutely fair enough and uh, do you I mean it sounds like uh, like amazing way of kind of growing up with so many I think amazing and probably also stressful you know like the good and bad of having like a big family mm -hmm. um but when you think about your childhood um what's the kind of first thing that you can you think about and family and nursery I would say probably in terms of my younger memories of childhood um again having a big family a large extended family as well there's there was never like a quiet time in the house there was always you know cousins brothers sisters nephews nieces around um I also grew up in church so again there was like a wider extended church family as well so there'd always be functions at church events weddings ceremonies any excuse basically for people to get together and celebrate so yeah it was very packed childhood um really enjoyable it sounds uh, I mean for me like all my earliest memories are food because I come from <laughs> family so it's just <laughs> memories of like crazy long tables um full of people and food and everyone just being way too loud yeah um, <laughs> and uh, still happens every time I go back it's exactly the same so I'm reminded of it and I don't have nine siblings I have to say that must have been like an experience by itself yeah just <laughs> and so do you do you think all of these experiences you ever had growing up have shaped your practice in a specific way yes definitely um it's very interesting to kind of look back and I don't think that I initially realized how important my background my experiences um had been in my desire to come to the bar and in terms of this, the skills set that I also have. Um, to give you some specific examples, I could say um, kind of growing up in a larger family, you know, working class family. My parents had come over from Jamaica um, when they were young. So they, you know, had worked very hard and instilled in us to work very hard. Um, growing up also in a sort of a church community, um, a lot of giving back and helping people, um, also fed into you know what I saw and experienced and as well my advocacy from you know being really young you, I'd be up there having to kind of speak and recite things so 
I can look back now and think that actually really helped me with my speaking and my confidence. Um, and to just being a young black woman growing up in certain areas that we didn't, I didn't grow up in the worst areas, but I was still exposed to a lot of things that my peers that grew up in the more affluent areas didn't experience. And so I saw and experienced things and learned about the criminal justice system and was able to have conversations and early stage in life um, being one of two black girls um, through the majority of my um, primary and junior schooling again demonstrated to me that there was um, inequality of treatment um, you were treated differently based upon how you looked and in your race or your skin color so there was a lot of things that fed into um, me wanting to kind of be a barrister wanting to advocate for people wanting to help people um, in in this format um, I did have a stint my mom um, qualified as a teacher when I was uh, when she was pregnant with me actually and so I had a stint where that's what I saw and often you know you model upon what you're exposed to so I had a stint where I wanted to become a teacher and my mom told me no it's too stressful <laughs> so my older sister became a teacher instead <laughs> um, <laughs> she just <laughs> She's happy now. I think she just blindsided my mom when she just became a teacher, but um, she enjoyed it. She's now left teaching. Um, and also I had a stint where I wanted to be a doctor or a nurse, but I like, it's not a secret. I do not do well with blood. So that quickly went out the window. Um, and it was actually my final point. It was actually an outreach um, program that gave me the exposure of um, actually speaking to law students and realizing that this was a career that um, I could become involved in um, and that was an outreach program um, through Sheffield um, University that partnered with various secondary schools that I was selected to participate in so yeah experiences definitely have shaped um, me wanting to come to the bar and be a criminal practitioner. So this advocacy program, was it, uh, did you apply kind of randomly? Because it sounds like you were not sure that you wanted to do that, but you got in. <laughs> yes, um, we were selected. It, it was one of the kind of, you know, the infamous taglines that it was um, for your gifted and talented from non-traditional backgrounds. And so um, I just got a letter home one, one day at school, I think I was about year seven, and it just said that Ruth and one other child from year seven have been picked to go on this programme. And it was directed at children they um, thought could become doctors. Um, and so it was really good. We had, you know, I had time out of school, you know, I say to my friends, oh, I'm off to, you know, the, the I think, is it the Museum of Life or something up in Newcastle? Um, and, you know, had a day at Sheffield University with law students, you know, and they're university students and I'm like year eight. So I, you know, felt really kind of special and intrigued. And um, yeah, there were so many activities and um, exercises that we got to do that was really, really fantastic. And I'm really grateful for that programme. As I say, I don't do the guts and gore and the blood. And so it got to kind of year nine, 10, where I could have carried on with the fades. But by then it was cemented in my mind that actually I really want to become a lawyer so I'm not gonna continue with that program but it was a, a really really good experience. I love the idea of baby Ruth thinking um, 
this is an amazing program. I get time off from school because like when you're a kid, that's the best thing that could happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great program. I get time off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I also appreciate the blood stuff. I'm actually needophobic. So um, I could, I was always like, oh, I want to help people be a doctor and then realize that I could never do anything like that. So I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I know what you mean. <laughs> Um, so moving on to, I mean, we're talking about amazing programs that inspire a lot of people. So let's talk about Cake and Council. <laughs> um, let's start by uh, kind of understanding how long did it take you to launch it? That's my first question, because there is so much, it looks like there is so much thought behind it. So I just really want to know how long did it take you? I couldn't even put a time frame on it, but it had been an idea for uh, years and actually my eldest niece bless her who's four years younger than me um just said to me auntie if you're waiting for it to be perfect like you'll never start it so get it started so yeah I started it in 2017 I was still a pupil at the time um but it had been a brainchild for a few years before that I loved the kind of how wise your niece is yeah <laughs> like that's such a good tip but <laughs> you would expect it from someone with a lot of experience in this yeah. thing. So <laughs> um and maybe you get this question a lot but what's the cake for where, where how do you choose the title um I really like alliteration um <laughs> and I like play on words and 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 literature um and I also have a sweet tooth so for me, I really wanted to create a space that was different. In my experience, a lot of legal networking is, you know, your stereotypical fancy venues and, you know, small canopies and, and you know, um, a more professional kind of setting and experience. And um, I just wanted it to be very informal um, somewhere where people felt comfortable again coming from the backgrounds to which I'm coming when I had my dining sessions you know I had to kind of learn about which glass was for I don't drink either so even even wilder for me which glasses for port and which glasses for this and you know you're eating and I, I, I knew about having you know a couple of sets of cutlery but I was presented with probably about six sets of cutlery at my first dining session and about four different types of glasses and so I think it's wonderful like I really enjoyed the experience it felt like I was in a new world and um it's it's great but then there are people you know who could have real social anxiety from those type of platforms so with Cake and Council I wanted it to be like it's you know it's a bit of cake it's something fun it's something less formal and you can feel comfortable you know people English people often talk about having a cup of tea and things like that but I need food like you spoke about your love for food like I need some form of food so yeah cake and council it it, it rhymed um and I thought it was quite punchy <laughs> I love it I absolutely love it and I have to say I'm one of the people that had so much social anxiety when I even just not even the dining the walking in the inn mm. I find inns like a quite I don't know I get a lot of anxiety from them so with them is we're thinking about this uh, kind of taking back the space in a way or actually taking it for the first time 
um, just because I remember this kind of walking in the inn and all of these massive paintings of like this mm -hmm. old white man looking down on me and just <laughs> everyone dressed in like dark clothes and I'm wearing dark now but I try to be colorful and like I just you know it's it's quite yeah it can be quite daunting sometimes so it's nice that like um you can feel a little bit more relaxed and really kind of open up and be yourself because i think in this situation a lot of people can't be themselves and like express themselves as they want to so i love it i absolutely love it and i love cake so love <laughs> yeah i wondered i always wondered whether you're also an amazing baker I wish I was like I definitely doubled when I was university and I haven't baked in a while but I know a lot of great bakers <laughs> okay brilliant so you can you know you can get hooked up with a good baker for a meeting yeah exactly <laughs> and uh going back to like a bit more uh kind of in a serious light taking this amazing project that you started so what what do you hope that people take away from this like what yeah, we have a quite a large emphasis on kind of developing soft skills and also networking. So um, one of our USPs as well is that we try to ensure that for, you know, the, the amount of aspiring lawyers and people curious about and interested in the law, we have um, a higher ratio than, than, than often is had um, at events of practitioners. Um, and so it just allows people to have good, honest conversations to really understand there's, there's still a lot of misconceptions out there about, you know, being a lawyer, about working in the law and things. And so when you can have a, a real honest conversation with someone who lives it, breathes it and works in it, um, I think it really helps to kind of, you know, alleviate a lot of these um, fears, um, dispel a lot of myths. Um, and also provide people with, you know, work experience opportunities, people leave a lot of our events with them, and also tips and advice on, you know, how to kind of take the next steps um, that they need to take um, in developing their career. Um, and just, yeah, kind of providing people with inspiration. We like to do a lot of inspirational posts. Um, and we also have been like formed and um, had support groups. So we've started with the pupillage support group and we have had workshops for training contract but we will roll that out at a later stage which just gives people that quality support um because again when you're coming from backgrounds and you don't know um lawyers you don't know people that are practicing um as barristers or solicitors it can be quite difficult to really understand all the steps in the process and, and really kind of um, even have that level of support like it can be really draining and demotivating so we really hope to kind of give people quality um, advice and support and opportunities. I'm also just thinking I remember filling in the form for um, the call and I remember them asking you like uh, name barristers or judges that you know and um, that can be your referees for this process and I'm like literally do you think that every single person starting the bptc know a like a barrister or a judge the alternative was a judge and i was like i really don't think that's how like, <laughs> it i don't know i just i mean i i had the privilege of working before starting the bptc so i knew some people from my kind of work experience before but i can't imagine that loads of people know professionals when they start the BBTC and when they want to do the call. So I imagine that's uh, a big kind of takeaway from, from the experiences in Cake and Council. 
yes exactly that as well and again a lot of it's based upon kind of mine and my peers experiences as we were trying to navigate our mm-hmm. way into this legal world and it's exactly as you say most of us know practitioners or judges or people that could give us you know tips or references or you know a lot of us even even at school and college you know I had to do a lot of the research myself to understand what A-levels what university what types of things I should be looking at if I want to become a barrister Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I love all of this, but I'm going to go back really quickly to your practice because I have so many questions for you. So I need to like try to wrap <laughs> everything up in, in a few questions. Um, but so going back to your practice and um, you are not working from home a lot, but in general you do um, crime, you work in crime. Um, so I imagine you have a lot of court work and I just wondered, do you have some mantras or some kind of rituals that you do before going to court? Yes, um, I, I generally any any day like to kind of get my clothes ready from the day before. Unfortunately, when you're in court, you've got limited options. It has to be a dark suit. Um, you know, you might have a blouse. Sometimes it might be a dresser or trousers and things. So you can kind of play around to that extent with what clothes you're going to wear. So I like to be prepared because I always have this fear of waking up too late when you're a practicing barrister you travel at short notice all across the UK and so some mornings I would have to be up after five and out of the house you know shortly before six and so I've kind of got my routine ready that just in case I snooze through one alarm too too many I can you know straight in the bathroom come out clothes are iron steamed baggage packed and ready shoes are by the door so that's kind of one of my things to kind of in case of emergency in case I'm running late get everything ready and prepared again I love my food snacks will be ready water things will be chilled in the fridge my little lunch bag will be on the kitchen side like everything as much as possible will be ready from the night before so that helps me helps me feel kind of calm and relaxed um if I'm treating myself which is very rare because often you find that you're working up until you go to sleep on something because you just can't relax but the odd time if I've sort of treated myself and that's again you know if I've had to maybe travel to the city the evening before or the morning of and watch a little bit of something just to kind of unwind for a split second before you get into action mode. (laughs) Um, And yeah, also maybe listen to if um, I'm kind of walking to the station or something, listen to a little bit of uh, music, some kind of songs to get me hyped and in the mood. Fantastic. I love it because I'm just as much as a panicker when it comes to snoozing. I so many <laughs> times I snooze without realizing that I'm snoozing. So I don't know if you do the same. I just wake up and it's like half an hour later and I didn't realize that I turned off like five alarms. So yeah. I do exactly the same. Plan everything that I can. Yeah. More, we talked a lot about kind of people um, starting, thinking about a career at the bar, starting a career at the bar. And I just wonder whether you think there are uh, either a set of values or some specific values that you think are very important that kind of to install in future barristers and the new generations of barristers. Yeah, um, I would say from 
from my own personal experience um, and from kind of now being a mentor to kind of a number of aspiring barristers, um, things that I've seen is that we kind of have to change the narrative. Um, so kind of not shrinking away and feeling that we're not worthy or kind of, you know, kind of feeding into self-doubt. I think that we have to kind of get over that. And that's because of what's what's given out is the picture of a barrister, you know, it's still out there and it still exists. So we have to kind of try to kind of challenge that and just remember that, you know, you deserve to be here just because people look like this, you know, 50, 60 years ago, doesn't mean that that will always be the same, you know, just how technology has advanced, just how so many things have advanced, like the scope and the narrative um, of life is changing. So yeah, have confidence in yourself um, and believe that, you know, you deserve to be there, you deserve to be in the room, you deserve to be at the bar. Um, I'd also say like uh, supporting each other. Um, I found that when I was kind of, it was the BPTC at the time, uh, when I was studying that, you kind of had those that would be supportive and help you. And you'd have those that were slyly competing with you, even when you weren't trying to compete. Um, and I think that I'd love to see for like the future generations, um, don't compare yourselves and try and kind of get on. It's another ethos. I'm going to bring it back to Cake and Council, but that's another thing that I highly encourage. I think often when people attend events, they only want to speak to you know, the worthy people, the judges, the barristers, the solicitors. Um, and I'm always saying like, your peers are just as important because they will be the people that actually know what the bar course is currently called. You have judges and barristers that are still calling it the BBC and, you know, the, the ins of court and, and all types of things that was from their time. They can give you good advice as to their level and how they got to it. But in terms of the here and now, the stage that you're currently at your peers are really important so try not to burn bridges try to kind of connect with them and they'll be the ones that tell you about pupillage opportunities that come up and about you know training um, and work experience and things that you wouldn't have known about if you weren't in communication with them yeah and you also want to be in a space where in a friendly space where people support each other you don't I, I always think I don't want to work in my daily basis I don't want to work in a space where everyone is just like kind of sneaky with each other and like hiding things from each other instead of like supporting each other yeah. I just think it's good to kind of behave the way that you would like to see other people behave as well so yeah. it's we really all need to work um towards kind of creating a space that is a bit more supportive and open towards everyone and yeah. um, and that kind of goes into move, moving on to the questions that are really kind of themis um focus in a way um, um that are a bit more about reform so i want to start with um the kind of massive question <laughs> that everyone replies but it's impossible to reply it to um yeah. what does feminism mean to you say so it's putting women on the map <laughs> it's kind of reminding and making sure that we have equality um you know that we're just as good as our male counterparts and um kind of the stereotypes and the kind of the double standards that are often perpetuated against women it's about kind of challenging those and making sure that yeah we have you know equality we're just as good as the next guy 
And uh, what do you think it's the most um, kind of pressing issue at the bar right now? And this is kind of at the bar generally. Um, I'd say, again, I think what a lot of the problem at the bar um, goes beyond the practitioners and the, the bar itself put into society. Um, I think what people have, again, in their minds is the picture of the perfect barrister and it's based upon the experience and the pictures that you've described that you see in the in the inns of court is that the greatest barristers of old white men and that's not you know that's not the truth and so unfortunately it's not necessarily just the the older white men that that may um kind of think you know oh i'm not going to listen to you as much because you don't hold as much you know power or um, influence as uh, you know an older white man would but you can also get it from clients that also think oh you know I can I can be a little bit cheeky or I can try it a little bit or I don't think she's as good because she's a female um, or she might be too emotional because she's a female um, and I you know I want you know an older white man because just because he's an older white man it, it, they assume it would mean experience and, and influence it doesn't always mean that mm -hmm. we need to redecorate a lot of places i think yeah <laughs> <laughs> of representation i think there needs to be a campaign yeah. um, to redecorate like legal spaces in general um but uh kind of moving on to more specific i i mentioned you do a lot of crime work so um what do you think is the most pressing issue within the crime kind of a sphere of the profession specifically. I want to take it to the public side because I think I spoke more about as a practitioner. Um, there's serious inequalities. The criminal justice system is far from perfect. Um, I'm sure you'll see on Twitter a lot of viruses, you know, hashtag the system is broken and things like that. I think when you have like a moral compass and you, you know, kind of really genuinely want to help people and that's not shade to anybody. I'm not saying that, that anybody doesn't. Um, but if you're to look at the system and the resources that you're provided with, you know you can't always do that. And it's quite heartbreaking when you see people that are coming from really impoverished back, um, backgrounds, people that um, you know have all types of addictions, um, suffering from abuse, um, they may have a, a mental health diagnosis or they possibly should have one, but they don't quite meet the criteria. Um, and so it's really, really, um people um a lot of people who are exposed to the criminal justice system who are very very vulnerable um when you couple that with the inequality and you know the stereotypes and the um statistics and reports that we have where we know that you know young black men um likely receive harsher sentences um all the issues around stop and search and all of those things, you again have marginalized groups of society, um, very vulnerable people, very impoverished people that are brought into a system that is very underfunded, um, has a lack of resources. If you were to go to some of these courts like, and see you know, the state of them, you'd be really surprised. And that's where people are being brought to spend hours of their day. Um, it's a very scary process as well. You know, people are very anxious at the thought of coming to court and 
even just to kind of have the time to be able to um you know help alleviate any of their fears to kind of have the the time to really give them good quality um a good quality service isn't always provided as well because again of the lack of the resources because as barristers we're overworked and overstretched as well so yeah there's 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 a lot that needs to be improved um especially at, in the criminal justice system um and i'm really hoping that that more can be done um and it, it, it even extends you know beyond just the system and just the things to you know race relations with the police um and beyond it's uh it's always hard when you have a system that tells itself that it's working really well <laughs> yeah. um so it's uh i think the first step would be kind of recognizing issues and well i think a lot of people understand that we have uh kind of reports coming out saying that the system works really well <laughs> um and i love when i ask that question kind of what's the biggest issue within kind of the bar or within the specific sphere of of law it's impossible to pinpoint one issue because uh, everything is so interconnected isn't it and so much doesn't work which is yeah. scary yeah. and sad um <laughs> but moving it back onto a bit more personal if you will um i kind of was wondering what's the hardest part about being a an intersectional woman working as a barrister Finding suits <laughs> is, is a tough thing. I think a lot of these, maybe I, again, I'm just not in the know of where to get a good woman's suit. Um, but, you know, men don't seem to have a problem. I go to the usual places and it's men's suits, not women's suits. But um, sorry, yeah. I'm <laughs> It's such a good question. I have so many text chains of women barristers talking about yeah. this. But yeah. no one ever answers my question with us, so I love that answer. It's a real thing, but but yeah, all jokes aside, on a more serious note, um, I'm a black woman. I'm very obviously a black woman, and it's things that you know my peers and colleagues, as as wonderful as as most of them are, would never understand how I do my hair for Chambers photo day, how I do my hair to, to wear, you know, my wig in court, how young I may look to clients um, or how black I obviously am to clients. Um, so being a woman, being a black woman, you do always have that consideration of, am I taken as seriously? Is it because of this aspect of my intersectionality or is it because of this aspect? Um, there's always, you know, there's always going to be people that won't take you as seriously for various reasons. They could also just not like you or just not like anybody. But um, I would say, yeah, there's, you know, I can never hide away. There's certain intersections that people will never know unless you tell them. But I can never hide away from this. I'm very obviously female. I'm very obviously black. My hair is very obviously natural. Um, and so there's considerations that most people would never think about that I have to go through, you know, just, just to go to court, just to wonder how I'll be perceived 
by the staff, by the clients, um, and by you know the judges and my peers. So uh, moving kind of the conversation to a positive note, um, what's the best part about being an intersectional woman at the bar? Yeah, again, you know, we keep talking about and, and I hope that that organisations, firms, chambers will do more about uh, differences, you know, the strength of having uh, differences of thought and and the positive um of all the positives that it brings to an organization so by the again the very fact that I'm a, a younger black woman means that you know my thoughts my ideas uh, my knowledge my experiences are very different and so that can be very useful in certain situations again especially at the criminal bar um when you're dealing with people from communities that aren't too dissimilar to communities of myself it means that sometimes people naturally feel more comfortable around me, not just because of how I look, but because of how I speak or because I know how to, to treat them and how to you know, adapt my communication to suit the needs of the different people that I'm working with or providing a service to. So it can, um, yeah, you know, it has its positives when you, you don't look like, the, you don't fit the mold, you don't look like the mold because that people will always kind of gravitate towards that naturally and it will have its benefits. I can explain to an older white male supervisor what a basherman is and that it actually means bashment and that it's a type of music. Um, and so there's always gonna be times when your differences um, are very unique and also very useful in certain situations. I've actually heard of this mentoring programs that are kind of working the other way around where there are younger diverse uh, kind of pupils or younger um, barristers that are kind of mentoring older members of the bar and I think that's such an interesting project in a way that it really shows that we need to move on as well a little bit. <laughs> you can see my face and I'm sipping my water. Um, <laughs> it's an interesting concept. Mm. <laughs> um, love the sip of water it was very telling um, <laughs> I think you're going to sip some water in my next question as well because I know what you're going to say but I'm still going to ask it um, do you think that the bar needs feminism? of course, of course <laughs> you know um, the world needs it the bar especially does need it where still you know we're still in the times where there's a huge lack of diversity um, at the bar. So we need all of it. We need the feminism, we need um, the racial diversity, we need all of it. The intersectionality of it, especially. Yeah. Right? Um, so do you, we're kind of coming to the end of the interview. So I have a couple of last kind of random questions I wanna say. Yeah. Um, but I always ask everyone if you have a song or a book or a movie that you wanna plug. I kind of always see new different ideas coming up and I love it. So even for my personal, <laughs> do you have anything that you kind of want to plug in? Yes, um, I have a, a couple. Um, when we, we've spoken about music and you know, what kind of gets you hyped. So I'll give you a song. Um, which is, again, it's one of my hype songs. Um, it's called Queen by Janelle Monae and Erica Badu. And these are two very woke, very, you know, unapologetic black women 
um, that they are just kind of in, about empowering women, about empowering black women. Um, often, you know, black women are, you know, put down and, and not seen as the beauty standard and, and not always taken seriously. So their song is just kind of about all aspects of that. It's, it's a wonderful song. It definitely just kind of picks up your mood. And it's about, again, women empowering each other as well, not comparing each other, but kind of just, yeah, kind of just stepping into all that feminine energy and feminine power that we have. Mm -hmm. um, books, again, I'm going to be very, very specific with the ones that I want to plug. Um, these are not only young Black women, um, one in particular that I know is in the legal field as well, which I think is important. Mm -hmm. And also they're British. So um, two books, I'm in the middle of a house move. So one book I physically have, I would love to have shown it to you. It's hot pink and it's called Slay in Your Lane. Um, and that's by two um, friends who came together in different sectors and, and wrote that. And it's also kind of known as the Black Girls Bible to kind of navigating adult working life. Um, and I'm so excited for, um, I've, I've ordered it on pre-order, it's not even out yet, um, but it is called Grown, The Black Girl's Guide to Glowing Up. And that's by uh, Natalie Carter, uh, someone who I first met through Urban Lawyers years ago, um, and Melissa Cummings Quarry. And it's not out yet, but I've pre-ordered it to myself as a birthday treat because it comes out in September, my birthday's in September. Um, it's really, really important to kind of support our own, to learn from as well, because they can speak about the Black British experience, which is obviously very relevant to, to me. Often a lot of books and things are about America, um, which is great. You know, it's always good to learn about different countries and cultures, but when you can kind of have the closest possible um, experience and insight, it's always, I'd always recommend it. Mm -hmm. yes it's different you can't do anything about it at the end of the day is different countries approach issues similar issues in very different ways as well so I guess it's a very different perspective from it too um I love those recommendations I am going to try to find them as well I'm trying I'll not to <laughs> so like I need to like I'm trying to find like alternative ways to find books during a pandemic which is always interesting but um I will absolutely put them on my kind of to read list um and I'm going to ask the final question for today and I'm so grateful that you kind of stayed on with me this entire time so um I appreciate that but the final question for today is what if you have an idea whether um, this can be a project or uh, an event, anything really, but what do you think FEMIS as an organization for intersectional women at the bar, what should we focus on next? Um, topic or specific project? Yeah, I think um, something that, you know, we've kind of spoken about throughout this interview and something that's very clear in the work that you're um, doing and, and looking to achieve, um, something that's very heavy visually in terms of women in the sphere. So uh, 100 Years in Law did um, What a Lawyer Looks Like project and it was pictures of, you know, any, any lawyer, anyone in the legal field could go and have a picture. Um, it could be something like that we've spoken about replacing certain pictures and certain inns, um, a project, you know, like that with so many different diverse women's faces or videos or 
you know, a, a, a slideshow or something that's very visual um, and very impactful in showing what an intersectional bar really looks, female bar as well, because it's, it's about the girls, um, looks like, I think would be very, very impactful. Well, I think we, we can, we're starting by kind of interviewing all of the amazing shearers at the bar and uh, we really want to like platform all of you and your work. Um, and with that, I want to thank you again. Thank you for agreeing to be our shearer for this month and thank you for chatting with me. It was a pleasure. And uh, yeah, I'm sure I will contact you with so many other questions because <laughs> my questions were not enough. <laughs> at all um but i really appreciate you and i want to thank you again thank you thank you so much for having me and for inviting me um and i look forward to kind of collaborating and doing more stuff with themis